Although I was hoping for a Charlie Daniel-style duel of the <laughs> fiddles. Uh, maybe tomorrow night. So. Well, good morning again. Welcome to Prairie View. Thanks for joining us here this morning. And the question I want to start off with this morning is, does everyone here feel like they're prepared for Christmas? Okay. Not what I expected, actually. Have you bought all your gifts? Are your decorations up? Are your travel plans finalized? Did you finish everything at work? Do you have all the food that you need for the family meal? I certainly assume the kids in the room are prepared for Christmas. Javen has been asking us regularly how many more days there are until Christmas. So Javen, Javen, how many more days till Christmas? Two, exactly. He's already drawn pictures that he plans to hang up for Santa to take home with him to the North Pole. Christmas is a time of great preparation and anticipation. Many of us are counting down the days to open that one big present under the tree that we really don't have any guesses about and hoping that people like the presents we got them. Many of us are eager to see friends and loved ones that we've missed. Many of us are excited for hopefully at least one day away from work. However, for some of us, the anticipation might be a little more negative. Some of us dread the credit card statement that will come in January. Some of us aren't looking forward to spending time with family because of some old, unspoken tension or unresolved dispute. Some of us will find any excuse we can to put off taking down all the Christmas lights that make the darkness and cold of winter a little bit more bearable. Sometimes all the preparation and anticipation of Christmas can be overwhelming. There's so much to do, so many places to be, so many people to visit, that we hardly have any time at all to stop and contemplate the real significance of this holiday. But really, we Christians ought to live every day of our lives in a state of preparation and anticipation. That's because we believe that something huge is coming, something much bigger than just a visit from Santa, a trip to see family, or a big meal. Christians are called to live in a state of preparation and anticipation of Jesus' return. But what will Jesus' return be like? Why do we Christians so eagerly look forward to him coming back? And why should we spend time thinking about Jesus' return at Christmas? Those are the questions that we'll seek to answer today. So open up to Matthew chapter 24, verse 29. Feel free to use the Bibles here if you didn't bring one and take one home if you don't have one. But before we read, let's pray together as a church. Father, again, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time that we have together. Thank you that we have friends, we have family Uh, both near and far here today. Uh, I pray that as we prepare to celebrate Christmas, uh, maybe tonight, again tomorrow, and of course on Christmas Day, uh, that you would bless each of us, watch over each of us. Father, thank you for this church family, uh, these brothers and sisters in Christ who gather every Sunday to worship you. I pray that our worship would be honoring to you, and I pray that the things we do here would be encouraging and meaningful for us, that you would use Sunday morning, that you would use this church to grow each of us 
as disciples. Thank you for the kids in the room. Father, watch over them. I pray that they would benefit from the service and that we would benefit from having them in here with us as well. And Father, be with us as we read your word. I pray that you would speak to us through your word how you see fit, Father, and give us ears to hear what you have to say. We ask this all in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, last Sunday we did what most churches do at one point or another in the month of December. We looked back at the story of Jesus' birth. We remembered Jesus' first advent. Advent being another word for arrival or appearance. And we discussed the parts of the story that we know so well and love so much. Parts like Gabriel's announcement to Mary, the humble surroundings of where Jesus was born, the angels singing, the shepherds worshiping, and the wise men bringing gifts. But we also looked at the more unsettling parts of the story. Parts like Simeon's ominous prophecy in the temple. Herod's desperate attempts to kill Jesus before he can even walk. And the Holy Family's flight to safety in Egypt. Our main takeaway was that the story of Jesus' birth isn't quite as warm and fuzzy as we sometimes find ourselves believing. There was scandal, there was intrigue and suspense and even violence. Those parts of the story don't always make it to our neat, tidy, and polished Christmas cards and nativity scenes. But even the unsettling events that surround Jesus' birth do not dampen or taint the beauty of the story. If anything, they make the glory of the baby in that manger shine that much brighter. It's sobering to remember that Jesus wasn't born into a fairy tale. He was sent to a dark and fallen world, full of sin, death, corruption, and rebellion to save sinners like us. And then later in the story, we see the great price that Jesus must pay in order to do that. The price of his broken body and shed blood. But then Jesus rises from the dead. And in doing so, he proves himself to be everything Gabriel said he was before he was born. Son of God, eternal king, and savior. But if we stop there, we miss something important. As we read the story of Jesus, we can't stop at the incarnation. We can't stop at the crucifixion. We can't even stop at the resurrection. Because if we stop too soon, we miss the glorious conclusion of the story. We forget the reason for our preparation and anticipation. So that's why we're focusing on the last remaining act of the story this morning. That being Jesus' return. Even though Jesus' return is emphasized repeatedly in the New Testament, and even though it was a consistent source of encouragement and motivation for Jesus' earliest followers, the truth is that modern churches and modern Christians don't talk about it or think about it nearly as much as we should. Think about it. The Incarnation has its own holiday. The Crucifixion and Resurrection, they have their own holiday. But what about the return? When we understand just how glorious Jesus' future return will be, it will make all of our preparation and all of our anticipation for Santa seem silly. So open up to Acts chapter 1, verse 10. We'll read that, then we'll get to Matthew. 
In Acts chapter 1, verse 10, this is after Jesus' life, death, crucifixion, and resurrection. He has risen from the grave. He's been around for 40 days. He's appeared to multiple people. But then he ascends to be in heaven with God. And we pick up in verse 10. And while Jesus' disciples were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. An angel announced Jesus' first coming to Mary and Joseph. And after his death, resurrection, and ascension, angels announced to the apostles that Jesus will come again. The very first thing said about Jesus when he leaves is that he won't be gone forever. Before Jesus can even unpack his bags in heaven, the angels are already talking about the fact that he will come back. And it's not just some new invention that these angels announce. They talked about it before Jesus' death as well. Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 24, starting in verse 29, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call. And they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Jesus went away in a cloud, and he will return in a cloud. The angels didn't create that out of thin air. But Jesus didn't create that out of thin air either. He's referencing Daniel chapter 7, starting in verse 13, way back in the Old Testament, generations before Jesus was ever born. Daniel said, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. This is what Christians have believed from day one. Jesus already came once in a virgin's womb, and he will come again in the clouds. That's what we've always believed. But in the second advent, the second appearance or arrival of Christ, we read that he will come in a very specific role, and that is the role of judge. Later in Matthew 24, Jesus compares his return to when God sent the flood in the days of Noah in the book of Genesis. The flood was about judgment, and Jesus' return will be about judgment as well. That's emphasized in Matthew 25, just a few verses later. Verse 31, Jesus says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. 
the sheep, those who loved him and served him and his followers, they will enter eternal life. While the goats, those who didn't love and serve him and his followers, will enter into eternal punishment. Now hold on a minute. Judgment. That doesn't sound very Christmassy, does it? In fact, it sounds kind of scary. The universe shaking, tribes of the earth wailing, trumpets blaring, and every person who's ever lived standing before Jesus' throne, giving account, and being separated. Someone is right, someone is left. Doesn't sound very Christmassy. And at first glance, it might not sound like something to look forward to. But here's the thing. For those of us who believe in Jesus... We don't have to dread the day of his return. For us, it is not scary. It is not something to fear. In fact, we are counting down the hours. For those of us who know who Jesus really is, Son of God, Eternal King, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Savior and Lord, For people who know who Jesus really is, his return will be better than Christmas morning. But what specifically makes it so great? Why are we so excited about this? Why are we so eagerly preparing and anticipating this event? Well, Scripture gives those who believe in Jesus some big promises for the day of his return. Paul tells us in Romans 8 that when Christ returns, our world will be made new. Creation will be released from the groaning, the bondage, the decay brought upon it through mankind's sin in the Garden of Eden. There will be no more persecution, no more fear, no more suffering, no more injustice, no more anxiety, no more depression, no more danger, no more racism, no more war, no more evil, and last but not least, no more Satan. This new creation will be even better than the Garden of Eden ever was. There will be no temptation to sin. There will be no serpents slithering around attempting to deceive God's people. Creation will be made new. But then also in Romans, Paul tells us that upon Jesus' return, our bodies will be made new. Those who believed in him but died will be raised the same way Christ was raised. Our bodies that are now mortal, dishonorable, and weak will be made immortal, glorious, powerful. We'll never have to worry again about our bodies breaking down. We'll never have to worry again about our minds betraying us. We'll never worry again about the wrestling match that so often occurs between obedience to the Holy Spirit and obedience to our flesh. These frail, corrupt, and flawed bodies that we inhabit will be made new and made fit for eternal life. But it's not just a new world that we're waiting for. And it's not just new bodies that we're looking forward to. We're looking forward to being with God forever. When Christ returns, God's kingdom will be established in all its fullness on earth as it is in heaven. We'll see what Daniel talked about 
The Son of Man coming with dominion and glory and a kingdom that will last forever. God will be our light. He'll be our warmth. He'll be our security. And that day, the thought of standing in God's presence won't just be some faraway dream, a nice sentiment, or just some words that we say that make us feel better at funerals. It will be reality. We won't doubt whether or not God can hear us. We won't doubt whether or not he's there because we will be able to see him. We will have the privilege of standing eternally in perfect fellowship with each other and in perfect fellowship with God. Now, of course, we can't bring this about by our own power. Christians should be the people in this world who most quickly dismiss the idea of utopia. That we can make this world wonderful and perfect and flawless in our day and age. We can't. We can make this world better in some meaningful ways. And when we can, we should take those opportunities. But we also recognize that our true hope for our bodies, for our world, for our future, is completely in the hands of God. And is completely based upon Christ's return. That's what Christians have believed from day one. That's what motivates us to keep the faith when we're tempted to abandon it. That's what gives us hope in the darkest nights of the soul and the coldest, darkest days of winter. A new world, new bodies, God's presence. That's why for us, the return of Christ, the day of judgment, isn't something to fear. It's something to celebrate Something to welcome with open arms. Something to count down the days for like a kid waiting for Christmas morning. One of the earliest, simplest, and most common Christian prayers was just one word. And the word was Maranatha. It's Aramaic for the expression, come Lord Jesus. Come Lord Jesus. When we read the newspaper, we can simply say, Maranatha. When we watch the news, we can simply say, Maranatha. When we see things in this world that just don't seem right because they aren't right, we can say, Maranatha. Come, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. Come soon. We can pray that same prayer because we share that same desire. And we look forward to that day, confident that we will be vindicated and rewarded. Not because of what we've done, but because of what Christ has done on our behalf. We look forward to that day fully trusting that the Son of God's sinless life and sacrificial death are sufficient to cover our sins and to grant us entry into this new creation where God dwells. Now you might hear this and think it all sounds crazy, maybe a little bit naive, maybe bizarre, Maybe you're right. A middle-aged Jewish guy who looked pretty normal from the outside, was really the son of God all along, died on a cross for our sins, physically rose from the grave, and floated up into the sky. The same man is going to return, riding on the clouds as eternal king and judge over all mankind, make creation new, make the bodies of those who believe in him perfect, cast Satan and his demons into hell forever, and establish God's kingdom on earth. Crazy? 
Naive? Bizarre? Maybe. But really, when it comes down to it, the return of Christ is not any more unbelievable than the thought of a virgin having a baby by the power of the Holy Spirit, or angels singing to shepherds about visiting a manger, or wise men from who knows where showing up in a small town with presents, all because they happened to see a star that they had never noticed before. This is what we believe. This is our hope. This is our encouragement. This is our motivation. This is our faith. Santa's great and all, but someone even better is coming. And that's what keeps us going. So we have an idea about what the return of Christ will be like. And some idea of why Christians ought to get so excited about it, ought to prepare for it and anticipate it. But there's one question that still remains. Why talk about this at Christmas? Why talk about it at Christmas? Well, it makes more sense than you might think. At Christmas, we remember that Jesus came down. There's no better time to look forward to him coming down again. At Christmas, we remember that Jesus once walked around on our planet. There's no better time to look forward to Jesus once again walking in our world. At Christmas, we remember the beginning of Jesus' 33-ish years of life on earth. There's no better time to look forward to him being here permanently. When we sing Christmas carols like, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, we can relate to those captive Jews desperately waiting, hoping, and praying for God to send a Savior. Because we too are waiting, hoping, and praying for God to send the Savior again. When we sing joy to the world, we look forward to the day when Jesus returns, when no more sin and sorrow grow, nor thorns infest the ground. When we sing joyful, joyful, we adore thee, we look forward to the day when Christ will come back, melt the clouds of sin and sadness, and fill us with the light of day. It's only when Christ returns that we will actually see all the stuff we sing about at Christmas become reality. It's only when Christ returns that we will truly see peace on earth and goodwill to men. That is why we are counting down the days. That is why we are preparing and anticipating it. That is why we cannot wait for the day of Christ and the day of judgment. That is why we say Maranatha. Come, Lord Jesus. At the beginning of this sermon, I asked if you're prepared for Christmas. If you're not, you better get a move on, because Santa is coming soon. But more importantly, are you prepared for Christ? Can you look forward to the day of Christ's return, the day of judgment, with joy? Is that a day that you're excited to see? A day that cannot get here soon enough? Or does the thought of Christ's return, the thought of judgment, if all this stuff that we read about is true, does that day fill you with sorrow and dread? Is that a day you'd like to avoid? A day that you hope is delayed as long as possible because you're not entirely sure whether you'll be with the sheep or the goats? Are you prepared for that day? That's the most important question you will ever ask yourself. 
And being able to confidently answer yes is the greatest gift that you will ever get. Christ has lived, Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. So let every heart prepare him room. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time that we have together. Father, I pray that you would help us be prepared, that we would live in a state of anticipation, that we would rejoice in the good gifts that you give us in this world, the good things that we see in this life, that we would work to make your concerns and your priorities and your desires known and seen in this world. I pray that we would work to improve this world however we can, that we would love our neighbors, that we would care for creation, that we would do all the things you call us to do. Father, I also pray that we would keep in mind that ultimately we're looking forward to something better. We're looking forward to a kingdom that your son will bring with him. We're looking forward to a dominion that will never end. We're looking forward to the day of judgment because we have nothing to fear. We're looking forward to the return of Christ because we know that on that day creation will be made new, that our bodies will be made new, and that we will be in your presence forever. So, Father, help us keep in mind that our hope is in a future event that we can't accomplish. We are desperately, eagerly, confidently waiting on the day your Son will return. So, Father, as we look back at the incarnation, back at the manger, back at Mary and Joseph, back at Bethlehem, back at the star and the shepherds and the wise men, may we also look forward to the day when your son returns. May we look forward to that second advent. Help us be prepared. Find us faithful. And, Father, keep us going. Motivate us and encourage us to faith and obedience the promise of your son's return. We love you. We worship you. We thank you that your son is the son of man riding on the clouds of heaven. We thank you that your son died on the cross and rose from the grave. We thank you that we can pray to you. We can call you father because of what Christ has done. We glorify you and we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen.